I want to bring a, a message to you today entitled, The God-Centered Husband. The God-Centered Husband. Um, good, there's Emily. I told her I had a surprise for her today. Uh, I was looking, um, actually, the book that I mentioned earlier, I found this bookmark. Yeah, you made this for me when you were 11 years old, by the way. To Dad from Emily, 1999, I love you. What a, what a great Father's Day gift I got this morning. Amen? <laughs> Isn't that cool? So thank you, Emily. She's, she's still quite talented, by the way. Amen. Uh, praise God. So I uh, want to get started. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn your Bibles with me to the 5th chapter of Ephesians, uh, as I deliver a Father's Day message to you today entitled, The God-Centered Husband. Husband. That is a powerful word, by the way. Husband. See, you can, you can be married to someone just because you uh, either went to a justice of peace or you went before a preacher, but there's an anointing to be a husband. Amen. Uh, you can be a spouse, but there's an anointing to, as a, for the wife to wife her husband. There's an anointing to the man to husband his wife. And so I want to talk about being a God-centered husband. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now this is an interesting portion of this passage, that as a husband with the anointing to husband my wife, there's a cleansing or a sanctifying, a washing of the word that takes place, a presenting her wash that takes place. I've read over that passage many times, but I feel like the Lord showed me something special about that this week. 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be with be holy and without blemish. And of course, we know right there that uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the church. Amen? Uh, because our, our wives, you know, as they age, they, they get spots and wrinkles and other such things. I know there was, no hus there was no anointing in that husbandry right there, was there? But guess what? Things start falling down for the husbands too. Hey, I can help you. All this used to be right up here. Okay. All right. It all changes. It all changes. That's a good thing. We, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> so, that's a great place to put the segue word, isn't it? Verse 28. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church, 
For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Father, I come to you today as your servant and simply a voice. And I pray, Lord God, that I can deliver um, what you have put in, what you have delivered to me. So I ask now that there be an anointing upon us to have ears that are open to hear, minds that are open to understand, and hearts that are open to receive. I promise you this, Master, I will always be cautious and careful to make sure that you get all the honor and the glory for every bit of it. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to get right to it. Here, here comes the point. Number one on your handout, I usually don't start the message out with number one on the handout. But here it is, the whole message in a sentence. The best thing that I can do for my children is to love my wife with God's kind of love. The best thing that I can do for my children is to love my wife with God's kind of love. My children have been a gift to me all of my life, and, and even, even now, later in life. I think it was a couple, three years ago, I don't remember when it was exactly, Emily... Uh, spoke at a, uh, a ladies' Christmas tea, and she used these this phrase that is so stuck in my heart. She said, "I have watched my father. How did you put it? Um, fervently wasn't the word. Uh, love my mom, something to that aggressively, something like that. I've watched my dad fervently love my mom. The best thing that I can do for my kids." is to love my wife with God's kind of love. That's my message in a nutshell. Y'all have a nice day. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Come back next week for the rest of the message. No, trust me, I got more inside. It's been about three weeks since I preached a message, so, you know, we're here for a while today. No, I'm just, I'm just, just kidding. Uh, in our text that we read, the Apostle Paul, he draws a picture for us, for us, for us and he makes a comparison for us to help us understand something about the husband and the wife relationship. Just like Christ loved the church is how you and I are supposed to love the wife in everything and in every way that we see that Jesus loves the church, we are supposed to in turn as husbands love our wife exactly the same way. And it can be boiled down to Two words, really. Loving leadership. Now, I want to kind of explore that just for a few minutes today. I timed in my message. I have a, uh, I have an app. You know, I write my messages out, and I have an app that I can send it over to, and it'll read my message back to me. Uh, and I was kind of surprised that in the reading of it back to me, it only took nine minutes uh, for it to read it back to me. And I'm thinking, boy, I got a lot of room for some bunny trails this morning. So... Here we are. I want to take a look at Ephesians 5.25 through the Passion Translation. Husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wife with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to you, his bride. Now, I'm a fairly pragmatic person. I'm a fairly um, a concrete person, I don't do well abstractly, you know, just kind of visualizing things out there. I kind of have to have hands-on, some, something tactile, something to hold on to. And this says that, this says, Rick, uh, you are to love Diane 
This be Jesus speaking. Rick, you're to love Diane just like I love you. Now, in pragmatic thinking, that makes me go, well, how did you love me? Because, I mean, great phrase, love Diane, love my wife just like I love you, Rick. Then I have to go, well, Lord, I got I to gotta take a look. I got to research. I got to dig and find out exactly how did you love me. Because if you want me to love her exactly like you love me, then I need to take a look at how you exactly love me. Can you get that? And so there's been a journey that I've been on in looking at that. We're supposed to provide our families with godly leadership. Now let me help you with something this morning. Godly leadership is not dictatorship. Godly leadership is not male domination. Boy, you ladies should have thrown out some amens right there. I don't know why you're... Why you're so quiet or elbowed your husband or something. Loving leadership isn't uh, defined by oppression, keeping the wife under your thumb, keeping the wife under the rule. It's not what it's about. That's not loving. There's nothing Christ-like about that form of leadership. In Ephesians 5.23, also from the Passion Translation, it says the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ Again, we're given the example, just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the savior and reviver of the body. I love how the word works. It'll give you an instruction, and then it will give you the way to accomplish the instruction. And Jesus is our role model. Can I help you? Amen? Uh, What I've seen on TV is not my role model. What I may have experienced in my upbringing is not my role model. And although there may be some great role models out there, Jesus is the ultimate mentor. He's the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate role model for our lives. And clearly, here we're getting an instruction to say, walk in the anointing of husbandry with your wife, Just like I walk in it with you, the Lord says. So I don't want to just love Diane based on uh, cultural dynamics or things that happened in my childhood or things I saw from other people. I want to love my wife exactly like Jesus loves me. How many know that as men, we will always fall short of that exactness but we should be striving for it can i get a better amen the king james translation and some of the others they use the word instead of leadership there uh the uh, greek word kephel or kephal as head the husband is the head of the wife which is a correct translation but head does not mean boss there's no Christ likeness in being bossy. You sure picked the bad times for an amen. Because there's a whole lot of wives out there pretty bossy too. Can I get an amen from the brothers? <laughs> there's no Christ likeness in being bossy. Okay? Let me, let me just read this to you. I want to get it correct. A boss drives people a leader coaches people the boss depends upon authority over people the leader depends upon goodwill 
from and to the people. The boss inspires fear. The leader inspires enthusiasm. The boss says, I. The leader says, we. The boss fixes blame on others for the breakdown. The leader fixes the breakdown for others. A boss knows how things are done. A leader shows how things are done. A boss says, go. And a leader says, let's go. You see, we're not called to be the boss. And a lot of men, male chauvinists, have used this passage of Scripture to keep the wife under the rule, under the thumb. I'm the head. I'm the boss. I'm the man. Oh, 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 oh. There's nothing godly about that picture. I'm the husband this woman and there's an anointing to be a husband there's no anointing to be the spouse but there's an anointing to be the husband and I need that anointing in order to love her exactly the way he loves me are y'all following me so what I just shared with you in that example is good leadership in any setting and especially in the home it's the difference between cornering your wife or being in her corner. And I believe that my wife can testify that I, have, I am in her corner. I'm with her. I'm supportive of her. I recognize that I have the ability to hold her down or to lift her up with my husbandry or my spousery. I know that's not a word, but it sure sounded good at the moment. So all you husbands just been going around spousing, it's more like spouting off. The God-centered husband knows how to be a loving leader. Now through much, through many years, the, much of the burden for having the right kind of home to having a godly home has been thrust upon, it's been placed upon mom, but that was never God's intent. It was never God's plan that mom be the spiritual foundation of the home. That has actually been placed squarely upon the shoulders of the man to be the spiritual leader, not boss, in the home. The spiritual inspirer, the spiritual motivator in the home. Not the spiritual dictator in the home. Well, you need to submit, woman, because the Bible says so. Great, that's what it says in verse 22, but you ought to go read verse 21. Submit yourselves, therefore, one to another. Can I help you with something? There's a lot of ways she's stronger than me. Okay? There's a lot of ways I'm stronger than her. I've learned not to wrestle with her. Because she has put me in a headlock and put my face in the ground before, okay? I'm just saying. I don't fight with that woman. And if I do, it's like fighting a nest of bees. <laughs> it's dad's responsibility to set the moral and the spiritual example. It's dad's responsibility. It's dad's responsibility to see that the word of God is priority in the home. It's dad's responsibility, hello, to take lead in matters of discipline. 
sure should have got an amen from a wife or two right there who become the disciplinarians because men are so passive. It's dad's responsibility to make sure that the children are raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's dad's responsibility that the family keeps their nose in the book, their knees bent to heaven, and their bodies in the house of God. That's a husband's anointed responsibility. It was Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It wasn't his wife that said it. Joshua said that. He was the loving, God-centered leader. Eve may have taken the first bite out of the, the, in the Garden of Eden, but God didn't come looking for her. God said, Adam, where are you? He came looking for Adam. The big problem in many homes today is not unsubmissive women. It's men with distorted views on leadership. And what does God-centered, loving leadership look like? Well, I said it earlier. Jesus is our role model. He's painted us a picture of what that looks like. For example, the disciples had a recurring problem of bickering with each other over who was going to be the greatest. They constantly had this little spat going on about who was going to sit on the right hand of Jesus and who was going to be the greatest among them. And one of those arguments broke out, and I think Jesus had just about had enough, and he gave them a stern rebuke. Now, he didn't strike them with leprosy or curse them to hell, okay? You know what he did? He took off his outer garment, which, by the way, is symbolic of his glory, and he put on a towel or an apron which, by the way, is symbolic of his humanity, and he knelt down, and he began to wash these dirty, stinky feet. Wait a minute. It was spurred by an argument about who was going to be the greatest. Jesus said, i got to teach these boys a lesson. What wisdom to say, I'm going to start at their feet. Which, by the way, was a task that was reserved for the lowest of slaves that were the foot washers. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you something. Here's the number two on your handout. Jesus taught his disciples that headship is servanthood. Being the head wasn't about being the boss. Being the head was about being the servant. Thank you. I was waiting for one man to say amen. Because that's hard to swallow. What, 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 what? The anointing of husbandry, the role model of Christ, is for me to be her servant? That would have been a great time, Diane, for amen. Okay, I'm just, all right. You got to get your timing together, girl. Some men need to go home today and figuratively wash your wife's feet by saying sorry, by making a change. Take off your manly garments of self-righteousness, of self-confidence, of pride, and put on the godly garment of humility and sincerity and ask your bride, what can I do differently, darling? How can I help you? Is there some burden in your life that I can ease for you? All you ladies, please give me an amen. And all the guys are like, hey, hey, ain't this Father's Day? What the what? (laughs) 
I mentioned earlier that some men have a distorted view of leadership. The other extreme of that is that some men have no view of it at all. They, don't, they won't be leaders in anywhere area of their life. And especially when it, becomes, when it comes to being the spiritual leader, many men are the couch potato. I'll just let mama do that. I'll just let the wife take care of that. I'll make it to heaven somehow on her skirt tails. No, you won't. Sounds like a good time for a joke. I think I'll throw a joke in right now. <laughs> Many of you may have heard this. There's this one man. It's Sunday morning. Uh, it's time to get up to go to church. And he just did not want to get up. And so uh, he said to his wife, I'm not getting up. There's three reasons why I'm not going to church today. Uh, the church over there, the folks are cold. Nobody likes me. And I just don't feel like going. And his wife says, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should go. Those folks are actually pretty warm. A few of them do like you, and you're the pastor. Now get up and go to church. <laughs> Our text in Ephesians chapter 5 is about a man being a spiritual leader. Not a man who has to be dragged to church. Not a man who has to be begged to read the Bible to the kids. Not a man who needs to have the wife remind him, hey, maybe we ought to pray. And this is number three on your paper. Being a God-centered husband is about being a loving leader, and it's about being a spiritual leader. God gave me a vision here for Forge Men's Ministry, and I didn't... I didn't pursue Forge Men's Ministry just to give the men an outlet of men's ministry. And it wasn't just to have iron that sharpens iron so men could become better men, but it was about me raising up men who will be spiritual leaders in their homes. Can I get a healthy amen from the church? This whole message can be boiled down to three words. Love your wife. Christ showed us that picture, and I want to just finish this message off by sharing with you three types of love that he showed us. First one is sacrificial love. The next is a sanctifying love. And the third one is a safeguarding love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we've read it, let's read it again. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. We are to love our wives so much that we would be willing to die for them. So I wonder, are you living for her or are you living for yourself? Well, it's Father's Day. It's the one day a year I get to live for myself. No, that's not the point. Just Die for her. Woo, there's a powerful message, right? Amen. Glory to God. Michael, just die for her. Can I preach to you for a minute? Just die to all that selfishness. I know his wife's like, he's not a selfish man. I'm, he's an illustration. I'm using you as an example. Mike, just die to yourself. Die to that selfishness. Die to all that wood turning. He's the coolest dude I know. Most bass players are. <laughs> it's all about that bass, brother. It's all about that bass. 
died a selfishness and you're already well on your way to living for her. Most of us want what we want as men. We want it when we want it and we want it how we want it. A sacrificial love says there's nothing in life so dear to me that I wouldn't give it up for the sake of my wife. Now I'm about to I'm about to mess with a couple men in here. I don't have you pictured, I promise. Your names are not written in my message. But I know this will read somebody's mail. Your wife should never... I'm going to close my eyes so you know I'm not looking at you. (laughs) Your wife should never be in a position to say the kids need winter coats. And he went and bought another gun. Kids need new shoes. Dude bought a boat on the side of the road. Or whatever. How about this one? Some men need to get this right. Because a woman should never be able to say, if he only spent as much on me and gave as much attention to me as he gives to that dog. All you wives are going to look at that dog different this afternoon. I'm just saying. (laughs) This is number four. Love your wife with a sacrificial love. Just like Christ loves you. Here's number two. Sanctifying love. Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Look, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. I've always thought for many years that was just about the church. It's not just about the church. Let me explain. Now, Diane is a vibrant, radiant Christian. You all know that. And she has been from the day that she gave her life to Christ. But did you know that she's supposed to be a better Christian just because she's married to me? That's not a high and mighty statement. That's not a statement because I'm a licensed, ordained preacher. That's a statement because I am her husband. She should grow because of me. Amen? I'm supposed to lift her up, not drag her down. I'm supposed to bring life to her spiritually, not suck the spiritual life out of her. My relationship with Christ is supposed to be a sanctifying love for my bride that helps wash her (coughs) to become a more vibrant and a more radiant believer of Jesus Christ. She's my number one disciple. Just for the kicks, all you ladies, elbow your husband right now. Just do it. Just do it. Some of you, I know you want to. (laughs) Easy, Linda. (laughs) My brother will be walking out of church. I got beat up by the preacher and I got beat up by my wife. Oh, my God. And, and by the way, <coughs> all you teenagers, 
who are dating or adults that are dating, if you're dating someone who drags you down spiritually, to do so is to willfully pursue something that is not God's will for your life. Just say. Number five, love your wife with a sanctifying love just like Christ loves you. Here's number three, my final point. A safeguarding love. Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes. Everybody say nourish. And cherishes it. Say cherish. Just as the Lord does the church. So I'm supposed to nourish and cherish her just like Jesus does me. It's a sad and quite frankly sinful thing when a man tries to make up for his own insecurities and shortcomings by abusing the wife, causing her to sacrifice her own self-worth for his sake. That's not good. The apostle Peter wrote that we're to honor the wife as the weaker vessel. Men have ran with that, like in a way actually to keep women down. But I need you to hear me correctly. Correctly, In the original Greek, that statement is not one of insult. It's not one of defining value or lack of value. The best way to give an English example of what the Greek, Greek mindset behind that is, is to compare silk to denim. It's to compare porcelain to steel. It's to compare fine china to Tupperware. By the way, men, you're the denim, the steel, and the Tupperware. (laughs) I'm supposed to protect my wife and treat her and nurse her and cherish her like she might cherish fine china, realizing that she has feelings that go more deeply than mine are and therefore can be more easily wounded than I can be. All right, so in every home, sorry, I need to be a little more careful there. We have three different types of dishware in our homes, right? Paper plate, right on, amen for paper plates. Hallelujah. Use a paper plate for just about anything. Throw your greasy stuff in there, let it soak up the greasy stuff. Roll it up like a funnel and put, when you don't have a funnel, and put oil in your lawnmower. I've done that before. Make a great frisbee, too. I'll need that back, you. Terry, let me see your frisbee throwing skills. Come on, throw it back. I just felt, I probably shouldn't. Okay. You and I are just about, about as good as each other right there. Amy. All right. Uh, also, in every home, there's typically everyday dishware. You know the everyday dishware? It's got all kinds of scratches and chips in it. And, but we still keep using it, amen? It's all up there. It's mixing and matching. I think we have three different types of everyday dishware. There's blue. There's white. And then there's polka dotted. I thought about bringing one of the white ones in and just throwing it on the ground here and let it break into little bitty pieces. 
because that's an illustrated point. The everyday dishware, we don't mind too much if one gets broken. Easily replaceable. Not very expensive. No big deal. No one cries over the broken everyday dishware. And we'll keep using it even when it's chipped. And it's got so many knife marks and spoon marks in there, you'd think it's been in the army. Then we have fine china. When I asked my wife if I could use a piece of her fine china today, you know what her first response was? Don't break it! She didn't say, yes, darling, dear husband of mine. You may use whatever you want. She, her response was, don't break it. Well, that's the point. This is uh, heirloom china. Uh, I believe it's irreplaceable. Priceless. Precious. Needs to be handled carefully. I don't think I've ever washed a single one of these any Easter, Thanksgiving, or Christmas. I will not have it on my headstone. <laughs> that I, Rick Lopez, broke the china. In fact, she has gold silverware. I don't even want to go too hard across that with a knife because I see the other dish over here with all the knife marks on it. What's my point? In a safeguarding love, any day of the week, I'm going to treat this woman like any one of these three things. I'm going to treat her like a paper plate. Usable, expendable. Eh, no big deal. I'll just get another one if this one doesn't work out. Whew, it's hot in here. Just found a new use for a paper plate. got all kinds of these at the store. They make new ones every day. Or I could treat her like an everyday dish. Ah, get over it. You got your feelings hurt? Grow up. Get over it for crying out loud. Chip, crack. No big deal if it breaks. She won't remember tomorrow anyway. No, actually, you won't remember tomorrow. She'll remember for years to come. <laughs> Or I treat her like fine china. Precious, priceless, irreplaceable. I don't ever want to break her. I don't ever want to wound her. I don't even want to nick her or scar her in any way, shape, or manner. Because she's irreplaceable. She's priceless. A lot of people who have china, they have a china cabinet. My wife's saying, hold on wet with two hands. Boy, what's the matter with you? She, <laughs> uh, they have a china cabinet with lights and glass. Everybody to see it because it's so important. My wife doesn't have a china cabinet. She's got padded china cases. Padded china cases. Why? To safeguard it. To make sure nothing happens to it. Here, darling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to go home this afternoon, so. <laughs> Number five on your paper is love your wife with a safeguarding 
love in exactly the same way that Christ loves you. Time to close. I'm going to close now. A good preacher has about four or five closings. I'm going to use up one right now. I only have one. I really do. Men, your marriage should, and your home should be like a taste of heaven. It really should be. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said that when a home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us and not find themselves out of their element. Let me, let me say that again. When a home is ruled or ran according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us and not find themselves out of their element. Think of that. Your marriage and your home should be a taste of heaven on earth. And men, husbands, dads, it starts with you. My message today is not with any intent of discouragement or admonishment. It is one of encouragement and exhortation. That's what I'm bringing you today. And so, as I close, I encourage and I exhort you to be a loving leader. I encourage and I exhort you to give sacrificial love. I encourage and I exhort you to display a sanctifying love. I encourage and I exhort you to provide a safeguarding love. I wonder if you can believe it and receive it this morning. Would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God? Come on. Yes. Hallelujah.